0: So today we're starting a brand new series. If today is your first day at Novation, you came perfect because we're kicking off a brand new teaching series. And it's called Seven Miles. And in a few minutes, you'll totally understand why we titled it Seven Miles. And what we're going to do over the next, including today, seven weeks, is unpack the Luke chapter 24. So we're just going to unpack Luke chapter 24 and how it applies to us and our walk with Jesus, and what does that mean? And it's interesting, when you read Luke 24, there's four things that God does in Luke 24 that have complete impact on all of our lives. You see, first of all, in, in Luke 23 was the crucifixion. Jesus was crucified, He was on the cross, and He died for our sins. In Luke 24, at the very beginning, the first 12 verses, you see that he, God opened the tomb, Right? Jesus was buried uh, for three days, and then God opens the tomb, and Jesus raises from the grave. And then in the passage we're going to look at today, uh, 13 through 35 verses of Luke 24, you see that God opens hearts. He opens two disciples in particular, their hearts, to see Jesus and to, to recognize who he was and is. And then, Towards the end of the chapter, in verses 36 through 46, you see God God opens the minds of the disciples. They had been walking with Jesus for three years, hearing him teach, listening to him saying that he was going to die and and, and be raised from the dead on the third day, and they still didn't get it. In, In those verses, you see how God opens the minds of the disciples to understand. And then, lastly, he opens their mouths. He opens the disciples' mouths. He he sends them out to go preach the gospel, to go preach the the death and resurrection and victory of Christ to the world and go announce it. And that's what's been happening for over 2,000 years. That's what we're part of here today. And so I want to read to you Luke 24, and I'm going to read verse 13 through 35. All right, here we go. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Let me stop there. That's where we get the title for this series, seven miles. What does this seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus mean for you and I today? It represents a lot. But before I continue reading, I want to give you a quick apologetic moment. I'm not apologizing for anything. That's a big word for defending the faith. The reason for the hope that we have. Can you give a backing reason for the hope that you have in Christ? Here's one of those uh, apologetic moments. Think about this with me. Um, there are many people who doubt the resurrection or don't believe that Jesus literally died and, and rose from, from the grave, right? It's the cornerstone of our faith. Like, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then you and I, are, we should be... We should be uh, tailgating right now or doing something different because it, it, it's irrelevant to, to our lives. But we know he did. And there's a theory out there called the swoon theory. How many have heard of the swoon theory before? The swoon theory goes like this, the logic. That Jesus was beaten so bad, had his hands and feet nailed to the cross, had his beard plucked out, had a spear shoved into his side to the moment that blood and water came out, was pronounced dead on the cross, And yet, he didn't really die. This is what the swoon theory says. He didn't really die. He just was in so much pain, he like passed out into this coma, so to speak. He appeared to be dead. And they wrapped him in the grave clothes and and put him in the tomb, and then all of a sudden he woke up and came out of all that pain. If that's true and somebody believes that, think, think about this with me. You get your hands and feet nailed to a cross, you've been beaten for 24 hours, your beard plucked out, a spear shoved through your side, but you're going to be on a walk, a seven-mile walk from Emmaus to Jerusalem after all that happened. That happened on Friday and on Sunday. Hey, let's go for a walk. Who's ready for this? Give me a break, right? And it's important that we are, are, are thinking through arguments, to, especially to the most important part of our faith in the resurrection of Jesus. There's no way. If Jesus just passed out, he's not walking seven miles. He's laid up in bed trying to recover. But no, God Almighty did a miracle and raised him from the dead. And he was, he was raised in his glorified body. So just tucked that away somewhere. That was free, all right? The rest of this is going to cost you. Just kidding. Let me keep reading. So they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. They're talking to Jesus, and Jesus is baiting them big time here. He says, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The teaching last week at TND was about Jesus throughout the Old Testament. That was a really cool segue here. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. I believe all of us have been on a journey with God from the day we were born. You've been on a journey with Christ. Even someone in this room who would say they're not a believer, you're on a journey with God. Because I would have told you before I became a Christian that I didn't believe God existed. I went through a, lots of experiences in my life that made me think, I don't know if this is real or not. That was part of my journey. We're all on a journey either running to God or running from God, it's, and it's just part of of, of our journey with him. And I believe this road to Emmaus is a great picture of our journeys with Christ. Let me give you a few bullet points on this. Like them, our journeys are filled with questions and doubts. Have you figured that out yet? <laughs> questions and doubts are part of the journey. I think sometimes people get this idea that if you have questions and doubts that you can't really Follow Christ or can't really be a Christian. Questions and doubts are part of the journey. Questions and doubts are how we learn. Even, uh, you know, we see the disciples themselves had questions and doubts. We're going to see that throughout this text that we're studying over the next several weeks. But I was thinking about this John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord, prophesied about in scriptures about he himself. He even had doubts at one point, and he sent his disciples to Jesus to say, hey, are you the one? Like, we're hearing lots of things about you. Are you the one? And Jesus didn't shame him or anything like that. He just said, hey, the blind see, the lame walk, uh, miracles are happening. He's kind of quoting Isaiah 61 prophecy about Jesus. And uh, then he begins to praise John the Baptist. So that's part of it. Like them also, we have highs and lows in our journey. Anybody that's been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, you start realizing there's highs in your walk and there's sometimes there's lows. That's just, even any relationship has that. And it's, it's our own flesh. It's our own, our own sin nature. It's our own fallenness, so to speak, because God doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't change. But sometimes when you rely upon emotions and feelings to be your relationship with God, I think God kind of maybe allows us He gives us a different kind of grace that allows us to to not necessarily feel him so that we learn to walk by faith and not by feelings. We learn the scriptures for ourselves. When I was uh, first a Christian, about three months after I became a follower of Jesus, uh, I remember just being on this amazing experience. I felt God all the time, right? And I felt his leading, and, and uh, I went to get, it was a honeymoon experience. That's sometimes what we call that in our walk. If you're a newer believer, sometimes there's just, ah, he's, he's so close. But I got baptized, just like we're, we're talking about here, for us to, to be obedient to the sacred calling of baptism. And, and uh, I remember after I got baptized, I went into the worst spiritual depression. Like, was God real? Was any of this real? Did somebody just make all this up? Did I, was I just feeling guilty and this was a crutch? And I, mean, I went through this for a few weeks. And you know what that caused me to do? It caused me to get into this book and read and read and get to know Jesus more and more. So the highs are great, but the lows actually are where your roots go deeper in your walk with him. And it's just part of that journey. Like them, our hearts and minds are being transformed, right? It's a process, it's a process to understand the gospel more and more. It's a process to, under, uh, to, to, to know who he is and that transformation of becoming like Jesus in our character. It's a process. It, wouldn't it be great if it was like instant sanctification, like a bag of popcorn in the microwave? Bam! Out pops Jesus, and I'm so loving and patient all the time. It, sometimes I think we think that, but it's not how it works. It's a process. And then we're, like them, we're growing in our understanding. They had to have the scriptures explained to them. The disciples, as we'll see in the next few weeks, had to have the scriptures explained to them, we're always learning, we're always growing. And I, I say this not to brag, I have a master's degree in Bible. I've read the Bible numerous times. I get to teach the Bible. Um, but I've never arrived, and I never will think I've arrived. I'm, you're always learning. Every time you, you read the Word, even if, when you've read the same passage, that's actually one of the coolest things. When you read it a few times, all of a sudden, whoa, I never saw that there. And then it's a lifelong journey with the Word of God to continue to, to, to grow in it. And then I would say this. Those seven miles from Emmaus to Jerusalem are a picture of what it means to walk with Jesus. That's going to be the the crux of what we talk about this morning. What does it mean to walk with Jesus? We're going to get specific in these messages a little bit later, week by week. It's going to kind of narrow the focus. Today is that 30,000-foot view. You ever get in an airplane, and you look out, and you fly over Denver, and you're like, oh, there's that lake, and there's Chatfield, and there's downtown Denver, and you see it, and there's the farms or whatever. You see the typography. It's like you would never be able to see that unless you get 30,000 feet in the air, That's what we're going to kind of try to do today to see what it means to walk with Jesus. This is mile one. Today is mile one, and we're going to walk seven miles with Jesus to get closer to him. So what does it mean to walk with Jesus? What does that mean? Is that just a Christian word or cliche, or what does that really mean? To walk with Jesus, you can write this down, means to be his disciple. To walk with Jesus means to be his disciple. And for him, for for you to be his disciple means that, first of all, to be a Christian, you trust him as Savior. You realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and that he's the Savior because he died on the cross for you. And he rose again, God accepting the sacrifice of Christ. That's what the resurrection means for us. So you trust him as Savior, but then you follow him as his disciple. You let him be the Lord of your life. You let him be the boss of your life. You let him call the shots in your life. You let him call the shots in how you treat people, how you treat your family, your friends. Every area of your life, when you become his disciple, he gets to to lead. He's the teacher. We're learning how to live from Jesus. All of us, every person in the world is learning how to live from somebody, good or bad or indifferent, right? You get your values, your worldview, all of that comes from somebody. Well, as followers of Jesus and being his disciple, it's letting him teach us, let him answer the big questions of life. Discipleship to Jesus is the most important thing in your life. It's more important than anything. Being his disciple, walking close with him, affects every single area of your life. Being a disciple of Jesus is how you get healthy spiritually and relationally. It's how you get healthy emotionally. Parents in this room, if you're a parent, healthy parents emotionally and spiritually are gonna produce healthy, emotionally, spiritually kids. It's just a fact. So don't you wanna be closer to Christ so that you can have an impact on your children that they would be healthy emotionally and spiritually? That's why this is so important. Spouses in this room, emotionally healthy spouses spiritually healthy spouses produce healthy marriages so we have to always go back to this the closer we are walking with jesus and being his disciples and doing things his way the more healthy all of our lives will be jesus said this in luke six forty. he said the student is not above the teacher but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher he's the teacher we're the student and we become like him um, a little pet peeve of mine, don't wrap me out outside of these walls to, to anybody else, promise, right? I'm going to let you in. A pet peeve of mine is when sometimes people in churches, pastors will say things like, 40 people made decisions for Christ, or we've had 1,000 decisions for Christ. And I don't love that language because Jesus didn't call us to make decisions, He called to make disciples. Of course, there has to be a decision to become his disciple, yes, but somebody can raise their hand, walk the aisle, do whatever, and walk away unchanged. That's not, deci- that's not what Jesus has called us to do, to get people to raise their hands in a service to say they've acknowledged this. That's only the beginning process. There has to become discipleship. There has to become teaching and, and being with each other. There's a flaw in the Western world in the church where... People can say that they're, that, that they're a Christian, but they're not a disciple. Like somehow these two things are exclusive of each other. To be a Christian is to be his disciple. I become a Christian by trusting in him as Savior, and I continue on being his disciple and letting him transform and change and, and lead the way in our life. Believing in Jesus costs you and I nothing. It really doesn't. It costs him everything. But here's, here's the caveat to that. Following Jesus wholeheartedly is going to cost us our life. And it's a good thing. It is a good thing. But the call to follow Jesus isn't some like, little split decision, Jesus, come fix my life. He will when you become his disciple. And it's, sometimes following Jesus makes life harder, right? I've seen people over the years want to follow Jesus to have him fix things in their life. He needs to fix you. He needs to fix your heart. And that's how, how, how do we do that? How does he fix my heart? Because I need a lot of fixing. I, I see it every day in, in my life where I fall short. I just, Lord, I want to be closer to you. Sorry that I speak like that. I'm sorry I get frustrated so easy. Sorry that I care about things too much that, that are not eternal. I catch myself always in that. Um, one more point on this. A disciple of Jesus arranges their life around the same priorities and practices that he had. That's to me, is like one of the best definitions of discipleship is you and I arranging our calendars, arranging our time, arranging every aspect of our life to what was Jesus' priorities as I read through the gospel and what was his practice's. I, in my Bible reading, devotional Bible reading, I uh, cycle through the Gospels basically. So on, on Tuesday and Wednesdays, I'm reading the Gospels. And if you ever wonder what I'm doing, I'm just kidding. But I cycle through the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then start back over Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So that continually, all year long, I'm in the Gospels. I'm, and then I obviously read other parts of the Bible throughout the week. But what I do in my Bible is when I see something that's a priority to Jesus, I actually write priority. Priority to Jesus was the kingdom of God, children, people, having compassion, loving people, announcing the good news, pointing people to the kingdom of God. And then when I see a practice of Jesus, I, uh, I'll write that down. Jesus got alone with the Father. Jesus prayed. Um, Jesus actually ate and drank and and, and had joy in his life with his disciples. So he took time to to chill. He took time to be alone. He took time to just be real. And let's let those things be be priorities in our lives and practices. Here's my challenge in this. Do Do an analysis of your life. Honestly, do an analysis of your life. Is your life arranged around the same priorities of Jesus? probably not. Like, mine isn't fully there, I promise you. But let's strive for that. Is my life arranged around the same practices that Jesus did? If we're his disciples, that's how we're going to become like him. The student becomes like the teacher when he's fully trained, he said. Here's the problem that a lot of us tend to do, is we compartmentalize Jesus. We would tell you, "Ah, I'm a believer, you betcha. But it's, I have my work, I have my family, I have my hobbies, and then Jesus. And this is never going to work for you. These will be all out of whack over here if Jesus doesn't become the foundation of all those things. Jesus, you are my life, how I work, how I spend time with my family, leading my family, being with my family, my hobbies. Everything becomes Jesus as your life. That's what it means to be his disciple. We're not saved by how close we get to Jesus. We're saved by faith and what he did for us. But we're never going to be living the type of life that he wants for us until this clicks for us. And I don't want to be on my deathbed going, coulda, shoulda, woulda. Coulda, shoulda. I should have done more. Could have done this. Should have done that. And I I don't think you want that either. Here's another thing about what it means to walk with Jesus. Walking exemplifies a close proximity and harmony. It exemplifies a close proximity and harmony. When you walk with somebody, if you're on stage with me and we're going to take a walk, like when we walk, we're close, right? So the eye contact, so you can hear, we can hear each other talk, etc. There's a close proximity and there's a harmony, in our walks. Jesus said this in John 15:4. He said, "Remain in me as I also remain in you. No ba- branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me." I love that picture. John 15 the first 10 verses is one of my favorite about discipleship to Jesus. And he's giving this illustration of, you know, how grapes are made. So there's the vine, here's the branch. He's the vine, we're the branch. He says, remain in me, and you'll produce fruit. That's fruit right there. You'll you'll produce fruit. If you're disconnected from the vine, there's not going to be any fruit. And he says, it's to my Father's glory that you produce fruit. How many want God to be glorified in your life? Then you need to stay connected to him so that there can be fruit in your life. Obviously, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of our callings, the fruit of all of those things in our life. So, maintaining an active, vital relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your life. It's more important than anything else in your life because then you're drawing life from Him. The, the, the vine's here, and the branch is drawing nutrients, life, moisture, so that it can produce fruit. If it's disconnected, it's just going to wither and die. Then lastly, walking means the conduct of one's life. It's a metaphor, lots throughout the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. It means the conduct of one's life. How are you and I obeying what we know Jesus said to do? That's the bottom line. Am I obeying what Jesus has said to do? Is there joy in my life? Is there joy and is there peace? Is there love? Is my life filled with these things? That is what it means to walk with him. It's the conduct of our lives. Micah 6.8, the Old Testament prophet says this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So how do we do this? How do we walk with Jesus? I'm going to give you six pretty quick points, trust me. The most important thing to start with is this. Make sure you've taken that first step with Jesus. Has, has everybody in here taken that first step? Here I am, Lord. I want to walk with you. Look, if you haven't done that yet, then you're not walking with him. There's two invitations that you can see throughout the Gospels. In Matthew 11:28, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You'll find rest. So that's invitation number one, come to me. you got to come and show up and say, here I am, Lord. The second invitation is follow me. The reference there is when Jesus called uh, Matthew, who was earlier called Levi, Jesus changed Levi's name to Matthew where we get the gospel of Matthew. The name Matthew means disciple. Pretty cool. So he says, come and follow me. Come to me, follow me. That's the first step. Second step, I would tell you, is this. Walk, don't run. We sometimes get the idea that the Christian life is a sprint, right? Try to run just forever. There's a few people that can, that can just run forever, but most of us, we're gassed, right? 100 yards, <laughs> dying. But you can walk. I can walk with anybody in this room Well. And I'm fat and getting old, right? But I can still walk because we walking is a different kind of energy. And we don't we don't run; we walk, and we don't run. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine. After he says, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden," he says, "Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy." And, and and my burden is light, and a yoke is picture is like two oxens plowing a field had a piece of wood together that, that yoked them together so one wouldn't get out ahead of the other, but they had the power of the two oxens going to plow a field. Well, that's the picture. Jesus says, "Take my yoke upon you." I thought of this um, field day when elementary school. I, don't, I they probably still do this. I might look really old by saying this, but anybody remember the three-legged race? So the three-legged race, I have somebody next to me, their left leg gets tied around my right leg, and we got to learn how to walk together. And whoever can walk in harmony and syncing together will win the three-legged race. Otherwise, you're just your, dragging your partner with you and because you're not walking together. He's dragging you maybe. I don't know. So we walk. We don't run. We're walking with him. And then thirdly, walk and listen. Walk and listen. Isaiah 30, verse 21, God says, listen for the voice. Listen for my voice telling you this is the way. Walk in it. We have to learn to listen for for God's voice. We walk with him, not in front of him. If you're on a walk with somebody, it's hard to talk with them if you're 20 yards ahead Hey, so anyway, uh, you know, family's doing good. I mean, they're 20 yards ahead. That's not a great conversation. So we need to learn to walk just like we would with somebody, look each other in the eye and listen and have a a conversation. Learning to hear the voice of God is one of the most exhilarating things you, you experience as a disciple of Jesus. Listening for his voice does not mean you're listening for an audible voice. Could he do that? Yes. Very rarely does God do that. God speaks to us through the Word, first and foremost. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, giving us promptings and leading and guidance. He he speaks to us through other people, for sure. And He speaks to us through circumstances. Walk with Him and listen. When I was fairly early in my, my walk with Jesus, a few years in, I went on a mission trip for the first time. And we were in El Salvador. And we were preaching the gospel at this school. And we had called the students forward to pray over them. We had translators, because obviously it's in Spanish. And I pray over this kid. His name was Fausta. And um, as I was praying for him, I felt this prompting in my heart that God wanted me to tell him that there's a calling on his life to be a pastor. And I was like, wow, okay. I'm going to just... Step out in faith and trust the Lord on this. And I said, through the translator, I said, Hey, I feel like God wants me to confirm to you that there's a calling on your life to, to be a pastor. And right after that was translated, he just like, he like buckled and he fell down. He was on the floor, like crying and sobbing. I was like, Whoa, what's going on here? Like, what'd I do? And through the translator, he. Told me that this young man, Fausta, when he was a little boy, God spoke to him that he was supposed to be a pastor, but he wasn't going to do it until God sent somebody or or used somebody to speak and confirm that he had actually heard from God. God chose to use some white dude from Arvada, Colorado, to go to El Salvador to confirm that word. It's pretty awesome. I mean, when you, and it doesn't have to be that dramatic. But when you listen for God, listen for him speaking to you, he wants to give you guidance. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you rest. Sometimes you've got to just stop and listen. And then fourthly, how do you walk with Jesus? You walk with others, right? You walk with others. That's, you heard what Scott and Patty were saying, the importance of community. You learn how to walk with Jesus by walking with him with other people. You will never learn, know what it really means to walk with Jesus if you're trying to do this on your own. You can't. It's not designed that way. The church, the, the community was not designed to do it on your, by yourself. If you notice, there's not a scripture reference there because there was too many to write down, to give you, to follow up. In the New Testament, the, there's the phrase, the one another's. And about 50 times we're told, pray for one another, care for one another, be hospitable with one another, forgive one another, on and on and on, the one another's. You can't one another by yourself, Right? You have to be in community and be with others. We need to learn to read the Bible through the eyes of we more than me. When you read the Bible and you're just looking for what's in it for you, you're not really going to understand the kingdom of God and the church and the community that God's building. So learn to read the Bible more through we than just me. Fifthly, walk his way. And I have to admit, every time I went through this, I heard, walk his way talk his way so i had to throw that in but pretty good riff um don't digress here ephesians 5 1 we're told to walk in love galatians five 16, we're told to walk in the spirit first john 1 7 we're told to walk in the light as he is in the light third john 4 we're told to walk in the truth love spirit light and truth that's how you walk in His way. When you walk in love, when you walk in the Spirit, you walk in the light, and you walk in truth. And then lastly, last, if you want to walk with Jesus, you want to know how to walk with Jesus, walk towards broken and hurting people. Walk towards broken and hurting people. And the truth is that if, if you and I are in sync with Jesus, That is when it will just automatically, we'll end up with compassion for people who are hurting. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about, um, you know, when you visited people in prison, when you ministered to the sick, when you did these things, you did it for him. There's this thing in the ministry of Jesus that includes broken, hurting people. And the closer you walk with Jesus, the less judgmental you're going to be of hurting and broken people and you'll have compassion. When you search the the, the gospels, you see in the gospels that that Jesus, he didn't judge broken people. The people he was hardest on were people who were self-righteous, the people who actually judged the, the broken and the hurting and the sinners. Jesus went to them and preached the good news. Of course he told them, go and sin no more. But he didn't judge. He said he didn't come to judge or condemn. He came to be the sacrifice. So for you and I, walking towards people, walking towards the hurting and the broken, we'll move away from judgment and criticalness and we'll be walking towards broken people in compassion. God will use you. We're going to move into communion. And I can think of no better way to respond to a message on walking with Jesus and discipleship than to take the bread and the cup together. And in this room, if you've never put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, today's the day. It is, God, I believe you created me. God, I've made a mess of my life. I'm a sinner. I've been selfish. I'm broken. And I come to you to be my Savior. And I want to follow you as your disciple. Take every area of my life. If you've never prayed that before, do that right now. Make things right with God by coming to Jesus. And for everybody else that you already know that you're walking with Jesus and that you've trusted him as Savior, as we go into the communion, I want you to just reaffirm that discipleship. Let him do a little analysis of your life. Because I know all of us get off track kind of tend to go our own way and we forget and 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 singing and worshiping and taking communion is such a great way to let God examine our hearts and for us to examine our hearts. Say, Lord, I want to be everything that you have for me.